namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Buddhang Tamang Sanghang Masami. Well, today is the uh, new moon day, uh, December 14th, and uh, this afternoon uh, we um, had a ceremony, and uh, the uh, eight precepts were determined by now Anagarika Philippe. So we have one more Anagarika in our community. And so I thought I would offer some reflections on that um, that, that commitment and uh, what, what we mean by Anagarika and how that, that principle relates uh, to Dhamma and to, to our practice. Well, the word Anagarika uh, literally means a, a homeless one or one one who has left the household life, one without a house. And uh, so it's a, a change of, uh, of state that we undertake, um, going from ordinary lay clothes into wearing white, uh, shaving the head, also making the commitment to live by the eight precepts. But uh, if we, re- we reflect upon that um, uh, that word dhamma, uh, that word uh, anagarika, and think of it in terms of dhamma, in in many ways, it's a it's a kind of formalizing of what's al- already the case. Because uh, I would say that uh, in actuality, none of us uh, really have a home. None of us really have a have a house in the first place. That uh, we we say. Um, that we we have a place where we live, or a, a, a uh, we have a, a sense of, of uh, identification with a particular spot, but uh, none of us really, none of us really ever have a home, and so in a way that taking on the Anagarika precepts is a sort of uh, formalizing of what's already the case in terms of Dhamma. I, w- I would suggest that ultimately. Uh, none of us have a home. None of us have a a, a place. None of us have a uh, an abiding uh, in the in the sense world in the in the conditioned realm. So that uh, in many ways, taking on the anagarika life is a, a, an aligning of this human condition with uh, with dhamma, and that's the the uh, in a sense the part of the principle uh, of uh, taking that on. I've always been in, very much inspired by the particular verse in the Dhammapada. Um, I'm not sure exactly which number it is, but it, it's uh, uh, it uh, it begins: "The wise control themselves; they are not attached to any home. Like swans that abandon the lake, they leave home after home behind. The wise control themselves." They're not attached to any home. Like swans that abandon the lake, they leave home after home behind. 
I've, I've always felt that's a very beautiful, very liberating uh, uh, principle that's there in that, that verse of the Dhammapada. Because it's so easy for us to get uh, attached to our, our, our space. I've lived in the, 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 the Kuti here at Amravati for, for 10 years. And um, so I can easily think of it as my, my space. And, uh, the, uh, um, the familiarity that we have, the things that we like, the, the uh, sense of, of comfort and, and ho- homeness, homeliness, that can be something that's very sort of heartwarming and something very cherished. But uh, just in that, that simple verse, in that principle, you know, the wise control themselves. They're not attached to any home. So that uh, in that very expression, the Buddha is saying it's a matter of control. It, uh, if the mind is uncontrolled, then it it keeps making homes. It keeps saying this is my place and how I think should, uh, need to be if, to make me happy and me comfortable and how they should be. But uh, those kind of uh, of homes, those kind of abidings, are, are not reliable. And so, as he said, the the wise. Uh, control themselves. They're not attached to any home, like swans that abandon the lake, like a, a bird leaving a, a a lake behind and, and flying off into the distance. It uh, it leaves it behind and doesn't look back. Uh, you you, uh, you leave it you leave it be. So in, in reflecting on the the anagarika life, it's that uh, leaving those. Uh, Habits of worldly attachment, a sense of worldly belonging, and uh, uh, the identification with a particular spot, a particular place, a particular set of things is consciously leaving that behind. In one of Lumpur Cha's most loved and um, wise and re- reflective uh, teachings, uh, he talks about our real home. He's giving advice to a, uh, an aged uh, disciple of his, uh, coming to the end of her life. And uh, my, my memory is that he's been invited to give a Dhamma talk to her as she's sort of, uh, lying on her deathbed, really, in her, in her home. And uh, he's giving advice to her, saying, you know, this is not your real home, you know. <laughs> this house she probably had lived in for her, her whole life. And saying, you know, these... Uh, these walls, this this floor, this roof, this is this is not your real home. These pots and pans that uh, uh, you have in your your kitchen, they're not really yours. Uh, this body that uh, is is so familiar to you that you take so much to be who and what you are, that's not your real home either. And so uh, uh, these kind of reflections can be challenging uh, because it's. It feels like a, a loss or a threat or oh, don't don't take that away from me or. That's uh, say upsetting or challenging, or, or it it's threatening something uh, in us. But what it's threatening is self-view. What it's, it's threatening is the attachment to the body, the personality, to our familiar objects, to the the things that we are, are say uh, accustomed to, the things that that uh, we take to be ours, the, this body, uh, its form, its feelings, even the painful bits are still, you know, it's still my pains. <laughs> it's still it, uh, got that sense of meanness and minus. And that is something that is uh, is deeply cherished uh, in, the, in the ignorance, in the mind being unawakened. So that that's a very wonderful and powerful teaching that Lumpur Cha gives. 
in that Dhamma talk, uh, our our real home. And I feel that uh, it's a good uh, reflection for entering upon the Anagarika life, that uh, it's to, to look at that, that sense of identification with our nationality, our, our story, where we come from, where I was born, where I grew up, uh, what my room is at Amravati, <laughs> or my kuti is, or, and then even more close to home, my, my body, uh, how we... We, we so easily take this body and this personality to be who and what we are. But that's the very root of self-view, of Sakaya Ditti, is that view. That, uh, Sakaya Ditti literally means the view uh, of the real body. Sa, true or real, Kaya, body, Ditti, uh, the view, the view of the real body. So essentially that uh, perception, I am the body, I am the personality, that's what I am, and how how deep and how uh, how powerfully those habits of conditioning run. You know, I am a man. I am English. I am uh, uh, so many years. I'm sixty four years old, or I'm twenty five years old, or, or seventy five years old. I am French. I am Swiss. I am uh, all those I am's. The uh, taking on of the anagarika life and uh, and and these forms of renunciation that we uh, we establish have established in this in this uh, tradition uh, the anagarika samanera the bhikkhu silatara anagarika uh, being a committed uh, uh, upasika a, a lay woman practitioner upasaka lay uh, lay man practitioner. These uh, these forms are are, are there. They're, they're a framework for for the mind to examine those habits of attachment and to to challenge that. To to say, well, is that so? And the the anagara, the leaving the home behind, is a very uh, say direct way of leaving self view behind. So, and as I was saying earlier today during the ceremony for for Philippe, how the uh, the the home or the house is very much a symbol for the self for the atta and that when there's a, a conscious gesture of leaving the home behind leaving the house behind it's setting the intention to leave self view behind to establish the wise perspective on this feelings of atta of of the of i am uh, the uh, ahankara the I-making, mamankara, mind-making habits of mind, to really know those, feel those, sense those. And we, unless they're challenged, unless they're really looked at and explored, they just sort of carry on dominating and, and uh, say, uh, coloring the, particular, the perceptions and the particular ideas and opinions and ways of seeing that the, the mind has. So they need to be examined, explored, and, and challenged. And this... Um, and, if they aren't, then they, they carry on and become the continuous cause for limitation, for, for dukkha. But we uh, we are consciously using the, the, the form of our lives, shaving the head every fortnight, uh, the robes that we wear, the precepts that we take, that, that we remind ourselves of, um, and then and the meditation. These are all tools, skillful means that we use to bring our attention to uh, the fact that this is not our real home. 
this uh, this this body uh, it doesn't have an owner this is not our real home uh, you can say I, i've uh, uh, lived at amravati now i've lived amravati 10 years i've lived here 10 years uh, from 85 to 95 so i've lived here for 20 years altogether lumposomedo even joked that he named it after me so he didn't i'm sure <laughs> When I first when I first saw the name, when I, I came down, I was living up at Harnham. I was uh, came down to Chithurst. Um, I think it was the Katina of 1983, and Ajahn Sujito had made a nice poster of this this new project that uh, uh, Lumpur Sumato had launched of uh, opening up this new Dhamma Center. I'd heard rumours that this new place was beginning, and and a few of us came down from Harnham for the Katina at Chithurst, and there was this, this uh, nifty poster that Ajahn Sujito had painted that was in the hallway, and uh, and it said, you know, opening uh, uh, next year Amravati, and <coughs> oh, <laughs> and I knew that Lumpur Sumato had had liked that uh, that name Amravati. I'd heard him mention it before. He that he talked about it as an ancient Buddhist city, and he he loved the, the sound and the meaning of the of the word. And so uh, I I remember coming into the the shrine room at Ch- Chithurst, and a lot of people were gathered there with Lumpur, and I paid my respects, and I said, "Oh, I see you've uh, you launched the the project for this new place." And he said, "Yes," and I named it after you. <laughs> So of course I felt a bit flattered, but uh, blushed as well. But um, uh, I don't make any claims that he did actually name it after me. But it was uh, a happy coincidence. But even if he did, it's still not my place. <laughs> even if I've been the abbot here for ten years, it's still uh, it's not my real home. And uh, others others of us have lived here even longer. Some of the the long term lay residents have been here for many many more than ten years. Uh, but still, it's even if we've been parked on this particular patch of the planet, it's not our real home. And uh, we take a, a reflection like that to, uh, to uh, hold that up and, and to explore those feelings. Yeah, but it is my home. I do belong here. Where am I, where am I going to go if I can't be here? <laughs> Don't send me away. I want to be here. That, that's, the, that's why we take these reflections, yeah, that this is not our real home, because... It helps to to examine, to explore those feelings of, you know, this is my place. I've got to be here. I can't be anywhere else. And to say, oh yes, is that so? Is that a fact? Will the world stop turning if this human being doesn't live or spend most of their time in this particular spot? Will it? Will the Dhamma cease to be if this particular human doesn't carry on uh, being? based at this particular spot on the planet? I don't think so. In particular, uh, the, the body, our, our physical body, is, uh, is something that we take as our real home, as, a, as an abiding, as a, as a gara. <laughs> uh, and that uh, the, uh, maybe not as a concept, or maybe the idea, of, oh yeah, I can see, um, you know, this isn't me, this isn't mine. But then, particularly when it's sick or when it's in pain, then it really feels like, you know, I'm sick or I, I hurt, ow. <laughs> There's a, uh, a, uh, a sense of, of, um, identification 
it's not it's not a concept so maybe on the conceptual level we can say yes the body is not self i can see it's all made up of uh, changing biological forms and uh, none of that is really me or mine but when there's a a, a pain in your in your your leg where you, when you or you have a a searing headache or uh, you you start to have a a cough and you think oh no i've got the, i've got coronavirus it's it, it's hit me at last Right, uh, right there, those feelings of I and me and mine are, are suddenly uh, are very apparent, very, very real, very, very solid. And so, these reflections on, uh, on say, not being the owner, not ha- not having a uh, an abiding place. It's not just a concept. It's not just a, a, an idea. But it's uh, uh, say these very, very deep seated. Uh, instinctual habits of owning i am the body this is my pain this i i am sick i i I have to worry about my health i have got to to deal with this 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 is me (laughs) it is mine so those are non-conceptual instinctual powerful uh uh emotions instinctual uh, uh, pulls on the on the heart that impact the jitta and uh, our practice and the use of the meditation and wise reflection in particular are the most helpful and wonderful tools that can be used to explore that, to challenge that, to to uh, to raise that up. You know, is this our real home? Is this? If it is, then what is it that's doing the owning? If this body is really mine, if this is really who and what I am, what is it that that knows it? What is it that owns it? How can any aspect of this being really own anything how is anything actually owned in that teaching of Lumpur Charles uh, then what he he points out is that really um, the 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 house is not a refuge the body is not a refuge but what is a refuge is Dhamma and so that the uh, our real home really is Dhamma I would say that's the the uh, what the real home is that uh, that the uh, dhamma as uh, as nature and that when that uh, is uh, when the view changes from a self-centered perspective to a nature-centered perspective when it's genuinely seen and known moment by moment that this this body is a aspect of nature coming and going and changing uh, transforming continually according to the the laws of nature uh, these mind states, liking, disliking, comfort, discomfort, excitement, depression, sleepiness, energy, uh, that these are aspects of nature, then I would say then that, uh, that is the, the, the flavor of the, the real home, uh, if that, such a, a way of speaking is, is useful. The, the, the Dhamma is our real home, that uh, the, the more that this life, this body, this mind, and every aspect of this being is known as an aspect of nature, then that's where security lies. That's where that's a really <laughs> safe harbor. That's a really secure refuge. That's why we call the the Buddha Dhamma Sangha the three refuges. A refuge is a safe place. It is <laughs> a real home. It is a a protection from from the storm. It is what helps to be a, a shelter and a safe place amidst the the storms uh, that, that that life uh, presents 
And so that uh, uh, when we are able to establish that, we, we use the, the practice, these, uh, uh, say, the, the forms of shaving the head, wearing the robes, keeping the precepts, the, 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 uh, the different aspects of spiritual training that we undertake, these different uh, particular structures, they're there to support that insight that the mind is Dhamma, the, the body is Dhamma. This, every aspect of this life is really an aspect of nature. There's no attribute of body or mind that is not part of the natural order. And so uh, we, we think of this mind as, you know, as, as a person. Uh, I feel, I think, I remember, I choose. I'm, I'm uh, giving a Dhamma talk. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm hearing my own words. I'm feeling the body's weight on the, the cushion of the, the Dhamma seat. That uh, all those seem to be a, a me. Uh, I'm thinking of what to say. <laughs> I'm choosing words. I'm speaking in, in English. This seems to be so much a, a, a kind of a set of personal choices. I am doing this. I am feeling this. I am experiencing this. That, and so the, the mind really looks like an I. <laughs> it really feels like there is this agent, this I- individual uh, entity that is the doer, the one who is experiencing, the one who is choosing. And, and yet when we, we take these reflections uh, uh, and develop the insight into not-self, it's seen really that every aspect of the mind, that which is experiencing, uh, that which is knowing is an aspect of, of nature. Uh, the capacity to choose, choosing words, choosing to shift your posture, uh, choosing to open your eyes, close your eyes, that uh, the, the quality of intention is also part of nature. The ability to understand language, to hear sound, these are all, part, uh, these are all aspects of nature. And so when, at least in the, the practice as, uh, uh, as I've experienced it and, and uh, developed it, the more that the mind recognizes that these are aspects of nature, that the mind is not a person. The jitta is not a person. The jitta is, is dhamma. It's, the jitta is an aspect of nature. It's dhamma jati, born of the dhamma. It's a quality of dhamma then there's a, a great spaciousness and ease and that profound security of what Lumpur Cha calls our real home. That's a, the, the, that is the safe refuge, the, the genuine, reliable protection, that which is invulnerable, inviolable, unshakable. Uh, one, uh, one of the aspects of the uh, eight precepts uh, that is related to this very closely um, that I like to emphasize is how the, the eight precepts and the, the structure of the, uh, the basic renunciate life is uh, a way of um, embodying the pure heart or e- evoking uh, the, the pure heart and aligning one's actions and speech with uh, with uh, the pure heart, there's a particular teaching um, uh, called the Uposita Sutta that I, I like to quote, and many of you have heard me uh, quoting this uh, 
I haven't learned to re- to memorize it in, in precise detail. <laughs> uh, maybe I should do at a certain point. But the, the the basic principle of it is the the Buddha is speaking about the uh, the eight precepts and their basis as the enlightened mind, and he's talking about the the nature of the arahant and the behavior, the choices of an arahant, and is. Uh, uh, talking about the uposita, the, the the moon days and the moon day observance for the lay community, so the sutta uh, it says something like, uh, and the, the Buddha is speaking about uh, about this establishing a form of conduct, a form of of observance for these moon days, and he says uh, uh, all their lives from the time of enlightenment until the, the passing away, till the end of their life, an arahant never deliberately takes the life of another living being. Wouldn't it be a, a useful thing for members of the lay community to undertake this same way of being? And, that will, and, and in that way, they will be living as the Arahants do, and that will be for their long-lasting welfare and happiness. Uh, all, their, all their lives, uh, from the time of enlightenment until the, the, parin, the Parinibbana, uh, an arahant never takes what is not given to them. They never, they never steal. They, they never uh, take what is not given. Um, wouldn't it be a good thing for the lay community to undertake that mode of conduct uh, for for these uh, this Monday observance? And in that way, they will be living as the arahants do, and that will be for their long-lasting welfare and happiness. And so too with with each of the eight precepts. So that they are cel- uh, say you know, an arahant never engages in in sexual activity of any kind. Uh, and wouldn't it be a useful thing for the lay community on this day, you know, one day a week, to be obse- observing this same mode of behavior, and in that way they'll be living as the arahants do. So uh, with, with all of the eight precepts that uh, Philippe took so impeccably this afternoon, uh, it was uh, word perfect, so I'm happy to, for that to be recorded for the, uh, for the universe. And... Uh, that, I feel, is really a, a, a helpful uh, and important way to understand the precepts for the Anagarikas, also for the, those of us with, with more precepts, the, the Sila Jara, the Bhikkhus, Samaniras. Uh, um, the basis of the precepts is the, the uh, awakened mind, the enlightened mind. And, it's, and so that what you're doing is, uh, is rather than looking at the eight precepts as don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, um, and setting these sort of limitations or boundaries uh, around uh, what I would like to do or what I should be able to do, but I'm, I'm giving up, and looking at at sort of the the mode of life of a of a, a homeless one as a set of of losses, like that renunciate. You know, the, the very word renunciation in English is is a word that carries a sense of of going without doing without something that is rightfully yours it's a, it's a sacrifice you like what in the christian tradition what what are you giving up for lent you you give up things that that you like as a sort of sacrifice uh and so renunciation in english has that has that uh connotation it has that flavor to it of going out going without things that are, uh, are reasonably uh, or justifiably good or that you think of as yours or part of your life and and so you're you're going without and it, so there's a a sense of of being diminished or a sense of of lack that is being endured 
But uh, one of the terms that's used for the uh, anagarika life and the renunciate life is brahmacharya. So brahma means pure or, or divine, like the Brahma gods. Uh, charya is uh, is conduct or action. So or to walk. To, charity is to to walk or to 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 go to fare. So rather than uh, having that same tone of renunciation as a a sense of loss or lack or being diminished, rather the 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 state of the the uh, the monastic life as an anagarika as a as a samanera siladara as a bhikkhu the um, the connotation is one of living uh, living in a divine way that with divine conduct walking with the gods so it's a state of fullness of brightness of divinity rather than a state of of lack or, or kind of enduring a painful absence you know going without something that is 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 usually uh, yours or, or that uh, makes you feel like you're you're uh, uh, missing something that you're you're diminished in some kind of a way so i feel this is a, a very helpful and skillful and and accurate <laughs> way of looking at the the uh, the the um the holy life the spiritual training that we undertake that uh, you you're seeing that the basis of it is the awake mind so that rather than say I, oh I, I have to control my 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 uh, murderous impulses or I have to control my uh, my desires to to get things and take things uh, and so on and so forth rather it's saying in our heart of hearts, there is that place in the heart that is completely in, incapable of violence, that, that cannot kill. There is that in the heart that is completely uninterested in sexual activity. There is that place in the heart that is as unable to, to lie or to deceive, that is not interested in, in distraction and uh, just being unmindful and carried away by entertainments and, and such like. There is that in the heart which rejoices in being awake, that doesn't want to just get lost in in sleep, in, in sleepiness and dullness and uh, unconsciousness. So that it's really drawing upon the 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 qualities of the pure heart, the in your heart of hearts. So it's really uh, helping us to live from our uh, say from our uh, our most sort of pure uh, the most pure place in the heart uh, our uh, the, our kind of um, the root of goodness in our heart that's what we're learning to listen to so taking on the precepts as an external form is helping us to to listen to that in our heart of hearts what's called the gunadhamma that quality of virtue uh, that that love of the good in, in the heart um that is a um, uh, a quality of our own being. So you're you're setting the external form of the the robes and the shaved head and uh, your the formal ceremony of determining the precepts. That's remembering you, remem- reminding you to listen to that uh, to your heart, uh, what in your heart of hearts is uh, is there is is like there at the the um, uh, the kind of uh, in the most cherished and most profound uh, area of your of your being, in your heart of hearts, 
That's what you, there is that quality. There is that place in you that is, is completely honest, that is, uh, that is completely harmless, that is completely kind, that doesn't need anything. And so it's learning to live and encouraging us to live from that, that basis. And uh, so it's not uh, 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 the case that if you, you know, shave your head and put on white robes, you suddenly become an arahant. <laughs> it, it, there's no way. Is, that, is it that easy? Well, and absolutely not. But what it's, it's doing is it's, it's helping to align your external behavior. Was that, you know, if you were an arahant, then you would be incapable of taking life. You would be incapable of stealing anything. You would be completely uninterested and incapable of any kind of sexual engagement. You, you couldn't tell a lie. Uh, you, you would be completely uninterested in intoxicants. You, you wouldn't be interested in, in uh, uh, eating uh, in all, you know, all, uh, all through the day and whenever you had the impulse to, to chew or eat something. You, know, you wouldn't be interested in, in a distraction, entertainment, adornment. You wouldn't be interested in sleeping your, your life away. And so that the that conscious establishment of the eight precepts uh, then is saying, you know, if you were an arahant, this would be natural to you. So by adopting the behavior, it helps you as an individual to tap into that heart of hearts, that... Um, that quality uh, of, uh, of uh, the, the citta, where uh, that kind of wisdom, that kind of clarity of, uh, of understanding, those, those kind of noble attitudes are, are to be found and helps us to, to not be uh, guided and motivated by our more habitual impulses of you know, taking, taking what we want or... or um, Bending the truth for the sake of, of getting some kind of self advantage or making, telling a good story or, uh, and being, uh, being moved by, by greed or laziness or, or aggression or selfishness, jealousy, whatever it might be. There's also a, uh, another, uh, sutta that, uh, is in, in a different part of the, um, and Guttaranikaya, the, the Upposita Suttas, in I think in the Book of the Eights, in the uh, in the Anguttaranikaya, uh, and in a different part of the there's numerical discourses. There's another uh, Sutta where the Buddha talks about, uh, in a very similar way, about the, the nature of an arahant. He talks about the things an arahant can't do. So he says it's uh, it's it's impossible. For an arahant, you know, one who has has reached the end of the path, who's, who's realized full and complete enlightenment, they cannot deliberately take life. They cannot steal. They, they, they cannot engage in sexual activity. They cannot lie. And then, interestingly enough, the uh, the fifth precept is not uh, the, the fifth uh, the, uh, point that the Buddha makes in that that teaching is not is is not to do with intoxicants. But the, the, the fifth characteristic that an arahant cannot do is they, they cannot lay up a store. They, they, won't, they can't collect things, sort of keep, keep an extra one for next week. Is, uh, is not something that is, uh, an arahant would do, which I, I have always found a very uh, interesting little quirk of that, that, uh, that teaching. Uh, so it's it's called uh, there's there's two suttas that are very very similar side by side. I think the first one is called Suttawa from the the place where the sutta was given in Suttawa. So that that uh, I, again it's uh, I feel helpful to see that it's not like an 
when the 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 mind is fully awake when the when the heart is pure it doesn't have to restrain any kind of aggressive impulses it doesn't have to restrain the urge to to lie or to to take what's not given it, it can't it can't go there or like the the tongue can't form a lie it just the, the the speech won't won't take shape and i've always found that was a very uh, uh interesting and uh, uh so kind of wonderful quality of uh, and and uh, of how it, it works on a practical level that if the the uh the heart is really uh, awake is really in, uh, attuned to dhamma and really embodying dhamma when the heart is awake to its own nature as dhamma then it can't motivate the taking of another life it can't do that it, it can't tell a lie it can't form the speech that is not true (laughs) and that these I feel are very important and significant things to reflect on so that on a practical daily level yeah we're doing a lot of restraining we deal with the arising of of impulses based on habit and and uh, the the conditioning of greed hatred and delusion and each one of us has different patterns of, of conditioning and different different urges different uh, say, um, uh, say uh, different personal histories, different uh, patterns of like and dislike, different uh, different conditioning, different habits. So certainly on a, on a, on an everyday level, there's a, a lot of restraining and guiding and and, uh, and remembering what the what the precepts are and doing our best to, to keep to them. But I feel it's uh, it's helpful to see that it's not. Um, it's not a, a a law imposed from outside that's sort of controlling what we kind of quote unquote really are, but rather the precepts are there to help us, uh, as I was saying earlier, just to, to draw upon that fundamental wisdom, that fundamental purity of heart, that guna dhamma, that um, that. Uh, Motivation that is there when the heart is free of great greed, hatred, and delusion—that's what we're drawing upon. So the the uh, the taking on of the precepts, the, the shaving of the head, putting on the the robes, and and that it's it's in a way it's a reminder. It's like remember what you are, <laughs> remember what's what's inside this, remember remember what you really care about, remember uh, what's 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 true, what's real. Remember that. Let that be what guides you. Let, let let that be what is referred to. Let that be the the abiding principle. And that's why every every two weeks we have these formal recollections. Uh, we recite the precepts. Uh, we have the recitation of the nuns' rules, the monks' rules, uh, the novices' precepts, the uh, anagarika precepts. That we're we're consciously reminding ourselves uh, of these principles to help us to in a, to awaken to. To say, and to embody that quality of the 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 heart, to to know that the heart is dhamma, the citta is dhamma, and that that uh, when life is lived from that basis, then that uh, it's uh, the the process of 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 living a, a monastic life. It's not a constant set of frustrations or, or limitations. I shouldn't do this. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do this. Shouldn't do that. Rather. As the practice is developed, more and more naturally, those, uh, the, the, the heart is motivated by those, the, those 
fundamental principles. You're, you're learning to listen and to be guided more and more by that which uh, c- cannot uh, act out of violence, it cannot act out of dishonesty, it can't act out of greed or uh, out of uh, the urges towards self-advantage. Also, taking on the Anagarika precepts, it's a, 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 according to the standards and customs of our community, it's a, a year-long commitment. And uh, this is, uh, say, uh, a resolution, a determination, an aditana, uh, that uh, it's a uh, uh, an experiment and taken on for the period of of a year. And I feel that's a very uh, another, a very important thing. Another aspect that's, that's uh, uh, significant and important to take to heart. And uh, we we set that boundary, that that commitment. Um, as a way to train ourselves, and so that uh, the uh, like the 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 we use the word temple for this building, and uh, as Lumpur Sumedha would often point out, a templum in in uh, sort of the the classical world, uh, there's a Latin word meaning a a boundary, a, a sacred space, which would in the ancient times would be used for. Um, reading auguries or telling fortunes so that you'd set up a templum and then uh, uh, the the um, soothsayers, the astrologers and the, the um, diviners would then watch what happened within that templum to see what birds appeared or what animals came or what events happened and then you would sort of read what was uh, uh, what was the, the, the true nature of things or what's a, a, a good way forward, what's a good way to deal with the situation by what occurred within the templum. So the word uh, temple then has become a, a, a word we use in English to define a, a kind of a, a sacred space. And just like this physical temple that we're in right now, this is a, a sacred space where we meet and where we practice meditation, where we, diver- uh, we use as a, a particular spot to develop the spiritual qualities that are, are beneficial. So uh, the the determination to live on the eight precepts, to be an Anagarika for a year, that's a, a templum, that's a, a defined boundary. And then <clears throat> just as you would, you create the boundary and then you look and see what happens, you learn from what occurs within that space. It's a, a sacred space uh, because it's... Uh, being looked upon and used in order to develop spiritual qualities, sacred qualities, to awaken to and to embody the sacred. So I feel that it's important to to take that determination seriously, and that that commitment, um, that boundary, then it uh, it's like a a, a vehicle. It's a uh, uh, say uh, a form that is used like you know this is a this particular temple is is a, a building it's a a, a a resolution like that to say uh, I'm going to do this for a year it's a it's a a sacred space it's all also like a vehicle insofar as okay this is something that's going to help carry me through the year and like a, a vehicle like a a boat on the sea uh, it's a, a good vessel that will help us to be uh, able to endure the, the calm weather and the stormy weather. So during the course of the year, then there'll, I'm sure there'll be times that are very pleasant and delightful, and there'll be times that are really difficult and challenging. 
And so that the 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 commitment to the eight precepts and living as Nanagarika, that's a a vessel to uh, to contain the the your energies and your life as a as a human being through this year, and to uh, <coughs> to be um, serious about that commitment, and it's then to help as the, keeping the vessel <laughs> uh, leak proof. And uh, and well ordered so that it can it can be um, something that uh, weathers the storms can be uh, reliable and can help carry you through the the, the stormy times as well as the, the pleasant and, and uh, comfortable times and so that the uh, that quality of, of resolution like any kind of commitment any kind of promise that we make or like when people get married you know like you. Uh, you make marriage vows, and uh, you know, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. I feel that there's a very skillful, ancient uh, human customs that, uh, that have come down through the the centuries for very good reasons. So, taking on the Anagarika life, it's not a a lifetime commitment; it's a, a commitment for one year. But in a similar way, it's a promise, it's a, it's a resolution. And you make the resolution because you know it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable. And so you, you sort of, yeah, it's like making a, a firm, a good solid vessel. You're making sure it hasn't got too many leaks in it. You're making sure that all the, 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 uh, uh, all the, the panels of the boat are put together in a, a good way and it's going to float on the water and it's going to, uh, survive the stormy weather. So that, uh, it will serve well. It'll it'll do it'll uh, fulfill its purpose, and that if we are irresolute or we don't uh, we we don't take these things seriously, then uh, as soon as things get difficult or there's intense mind states, then it's rather like you know you haven't done a, a, a very good job of putting the boat together, and there's a few a few of the planks are loose, there's a few holes, and it gets very leaky, and then you know, falls apart in the in the stormy weather, uh, and or even in the mild weather, <laughs> if, you, if you built a boat very very poorly, and we find ourselves uh, uh, not able to keep any kind of objectivity or, or clarity in relationship to the intense mind states, uh, and that there can be things that are very painful or very um, uh, very challenging, or it can be that uh, it can be t- to do with opinions and views, like uh, after. You know, six weeks, you suddenly realize oh, I don't really need Buddhism. I don't need. I don't need a teacher. I'm, I'm a fully enlightened being already. You know, I don't need this. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm off. You say, well, okay. Well, I might feel like I'm a fully enlightened being today. <laughs> I might feel I don't don't need to shave my head or wear these robes. But I did make a promise to to uh, live as an Anagarika for a year. So perhaps I'll maintain my commitment. And then see whether I'm still enlightened tomorrow, or whether things have changed again. I'm not making any predictions or judgments about <laughs> where Philippe might be at, but these things do happen. And so that then it can be like uh, easily the case that uh, a week later, oh, uh, I don't think I'm enlightened after all. And so this is actually uh, very helpful to uh, uh, to enable me to maintain a perspective on my my loves and hates if i was really enlightened i wouldn't be getting angry with the ajahn or i wouldn't be fantasizing about food all the way through the evening meditation like uh, that's not what an arahant's mind would would go to i suspect <laughs> so that you use that framework 
as a way to look at those ups and downs, the, the feelings of inspiration, feelings of desperation. And you're using that uh, that form of the, the eight precepts as a, the, as a templum, as a framework in which to to look at love and hate, gain and loss, praise and and criticism, comfort and discomfort, and to to get to know how they work. It's it's a, a vehicle to help make that uh, make that journey so into the mind and to know how the mind works to explore that uh, territory of of the the heart, the mind, and to see to see what it is, how it works, and to to understand it more and more completely and through that understanding then to, to bring about uh, those qualities of, of uh, say uh, freedom of heart and uh, the qualities of, of true uh, contentment and, and ease when we, we talk about the qualities of the Buddha often we focus upon uh, aspects like wisdom or compassion and that, or the you know the Buddha's skill as a teacher, but another one of the the, the suttas that I feel is is very significant and carries a, a, a an important message is called the uh, uh, the Mahagosinga Sutta, and it, uh, it talks about a beautiful night in the forest, and uh, where the, in a monastery in the Gosinga forest, uh, Gosinga solitary forest. The Buddha was living with a number of uh, the enlightened members of the, the Bhikkhu Sangha. And uh, it starts off with, um, I think it's uh, Venerable, uh, Venerable Ananda who looks out into the forest and says, oh, this is a beautiful moonlit night. And uh, the, the scent of the, the, the flowers of the sala trees is filling the air and uh, the moonlight is, is washing through the through the the forest and and shining on all the the, the leaves and it's a it's as if it, uh, it's a, a paradise a heavenly place. What kind of a, a of a monk would illuminate the forest on a night like this? And then he goes to his friend Venerable Sariputta and then and says, you know, Venerable Sariputta, what kind, you know this is a, the the the, uh, the Gosinga forest is filled with beautiful scents and the the moonlight is illuminating the forest and. As if it's a, you know, a heavenly zone. What kind of a monk do you think would it, would illuminate the forest on a night like this? And then Sariputta says, "Well, the kind of monk that can enter any kind of uh, state of meditation uh, uh, that they that they choose in the morning or the afternoon and the evening, and they can have a complete mastery over the, the the their meditation." And then each of the then they go and visit the different uh, different great elders who are living there, Venerable Mahamogalana and. Uh, Mahakasapa and Aruda, and uh, and each one of them, uh, the example they give is their own speciality. So it's a, a kind of unique environment, a unique situation, a unique situation when all of these great beings kind of uh, emphasize the areas that they have developed. Like Venerable Anuruddha says, you know, a monk who can see into all of the the different realms of existence and has complete mastery over the the, uh, the divine eye. Um, uh, the uh, Mahakasapa talks about the one who is who who is uh, has uh, uh, say developed all of the dutangas, who has a a, 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 a life that is extremely austere and simple, and 
and so on and so forth. And then after uh, there's uh, uh, the, about uh, half a dozen of them have, have uh, spoken in this way, they say, well, let's go and speak to the Master. Let's go and, and uh, meet, uh, pay our respects to, to the Buddha and see what he says uh, with respect to this. And so they go to the Buddha and then they say, you know, Venerable Sir, the, the, the Gosinga Sala tree wood is, is uh, filled with, with scents and uh, the, uh, the, the, the flowers are all in bloom and the moonlight is, is shining through the forest and illuminating it like a heavenly realm. What kind of a monk do you think would illuminate the forest on a night like this? And then the Buddha says, uh, the, uh, the kind of monk that would sit down and say, and says, I will not move from this spot until I have, uh, Realize full and complete enlightenment. Um, that's the kind of monk that would illuminate the forest on a night like this. So, when uh, and in, in that theme um, of the sutta, when each one is talking about their own kind of speciality, their own sort of area of uh, of uh, say uh, that they focused upon or developed to, to fulfillment, it's aditana that the Buddha speaks about. It's resolution that he sort of points to as his most significant characteristic. And again, that might be just my interpretation. It's not the only way to read that sutta. Um, but I do feel it's very significant that of all the different qualities and characteristics that the Buddha had fully developed all the, the ten parameters to the ultimate degree, it's resolution that aditana is the quality that he he highlights and says that's uh, that's the... <laughs> The abiding principle. It also matches his uh, resolution as a bodhisattva. You know that, that through lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, sustaining that resolution to to keep developing the parameters until uh, f- uh, until Buddhahood is as uh, realized. Uh, but uh, also in this uh, his last lifetime, that the resolution to to not move from the spot under the Bodhi tree until uh, full and complete enlightenment was realized. So uh, it, uh, to me, it also does point uh, to that quality of of resolution is a, is a is a very significant, a highly significant aspect of the Buddha principle. So we might think of uh, awakenedness or wisdom or, or kindness and compassion are the chief characteristics. But I do feel it's significant that uh, that what he points to himself is aditana, is resolution, uh, determination, uh, as uh, as his sort of um, the linchpin or the or the or the, the most uh, dominant or, or significant aspect of his practice, at least in that that particular sutta, and so that uh, uh, when we are dealing with intense mind states and the mind is is really miserable or sad or lonely or or c- confused and filled with with strange imagery or weird states and. And uh, aditana is the the mind that says, "Don't wobble. <laughs> this is this is a, this is a mind state. Don't be confused. This is a, if it's arisen, it's, it has to pass away. Uh, and it, it, this is uh, in, intrinsically anicca dukkha anatta. It cannot not be anicca dukkha anatta. It has to be, no matter how intense, how strange, uh, how difficult, how challenging, how exciting, how wonderful. This has to be anicca dukkha anatta. There's no way it cannot be. And so that resolution, in a, in a sense, is a, it's what enables that quality of insight and wisdom to, to stay uh, open, stay alert and attentive to 
the the flow of mind states, no matter how challenging, exciting, irritating, compelling, painful, and or delightful they, they might be, it's that don't wobble. <laughs> Just uh, be 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 awake, pay attention, and that uh, that is so helpful in terms of of what we've. Uh, undertaken here, taking these precepts, living the, this life as we do uh, together, uh, as a, either as a, a layperson or as a resident here at Amravati, as a uh, anagarika, anagarika, the, a uh, samanera, silatara, as a bhikkhu, uh, and the resident lay people who've made their their own commitments to be living here, to be committing themselves to the practice. Also around and about, people are in their own homes and around the world in different monasteries and different communities. That the, that resolution, that commitment to, to Dhamma, when we take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, there's no reason why that taking of refuge, even though those words are, are maybe even recited in a kind of automatic or semi-conscious way, like Buddhang Saranangachami and you, you get sort of three words in and your mind is already drifting off. <laughs> but when, when we recite those words, Buddhang Saranangachami, Dhammang Saranangachami, Sanghang Saranangachami, there's no reason why we can't recite those words with the same quality of aditana, resolution, of like, this is the intention that the Buddha is a refuge, the Dhamma is a refuge, the Sangha is a refuge. That is the direction, that's the commitment, that's the... Uh, the the, the uh, determination that's being made here that despite all of the uh, the many distractions and compulsions and habits right <laughs> Buddhang Saranangachami I take refuge I go to the Buddha for refuge I go to the Dhamma for refuge I go to the Sangha for refuge and uh, that the, the more there is a quality of genuine resolution and determination in that going for refuge then the more those refuges are embodied uh, the the, the heart embodies those qualities of, of being Dhamma, being Buddha, being Sangha, uh, being awake, being, uh, being uh, an embodiment of nature and being an, embody, uh, an embodiment of, of the good, the true and the, the noble. So I offer these uh, thoughts for consideration on this auspicious day and uh, particularly wishing uh, the new Anagarika Philippe well and every blessing for his year's commitment. Namaya.